Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me, we have a full house, Ben Sawyer, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group, Jennifer Strahan, who's the Chief Operating Officer, and Lisa Council, who is the Chief Commercial Officer. Our special guest today, as we had last week, it is Georgia's Lieutenant Governor, Jeff Duncan. Thank you so much for joining us, thanks Jeff. For, thanks for inviting me back. Now, for those of you who don't know, you may know he's the Lieutenant Governor, but here's a little more background of him. He's a former professional baseball player and successful entrepreneur. He was elected as the Lieutenant Governor in November of 2018. Jeff's faith inspired him to a life of leadership and prompted him to start his political run. Well, he was elected to the Georgia House of Representatives in 2012. And during his time in office, he's proud of several pieces of legislation. These are the biggies. HB 749, which is the Cargo Theft Act, HB 152, known as Michael's Law, and most recently, SB 258, the Rural Hospital Tax Credit. And with that, that last bill, I think we're gonna start off talking about rural health. This is something that we have tackled on this show several times. It is a biggie. Yes, and so just to tee this up, we have planned a leadership roundtable event for rural health leaders in Birmingham, Alabama on November 6th and 7th. We're excited about that. There are 16 right now um, CEOs coming in. We're doing this in collaboration with the University of Alabama um, Professional Health Services um, uh, Program. And so, um, Jeff, I know you have a lot of background in in rural health, and this is a a big interest uh, within Georgia. Can you just kind of kick this off from the standpoint of your perspective on rural health and what some of the limitations and opportunities are there? Yeah, it, it's a challenge, right? And it's not just Georgia. Rural health care is an issue in all parts of, of our country. Um, and it was a challenge that I was new to when I showed up in the legislature in 2013 as a House member because I was always from a suburban area, right? Yeah. And, and access to health care, and, you know, you, you, you never ran the risk of your hospital going out of business right. or not having, you know, the, the, the correct specialist, you know, within 100 miles of where you're at. Right. And so when I walked in, I just continued to hear over and over and over again. And I, and I kept watching subsidies and grants and things fly out the door, but we weren't solving the problem. And that's when I wrote the Rural Health Care Tax Credit Bill that essentially identified 54 rural hospitals by their, their local population and some other metrics and said, look, we're going to allow the community to invest in themselves. And we gave a tax credit at 100 percent of what was given to corporations and citizens to write checks directly to those rural hospitals. Wow. Long story short. million a year now flows into 54 rural hospitals in rural Georgia without any sort of budget growth, without any sort of oversight. Because, Yeah, and here's here's the problem, because when government gives money, they also tie strings to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so these these rural hospitals were like, well, gosh, every time I accept a grant, I got to go buy a new piece of equipment and go see a new type of patient, and it doesn't really make it as effective as I need it to be. So what has been the impact in terms of closures or whatever other metric that you're yeah, using? So um, I don't believe any of the hospitals that were covered in the 54 have closed nice. in the, I think it's been four or five years since the program launched. I, I, I might miss that by once. I don't want to oversell the program, but I don't think anywhere. As I campaigned to be lieutenant governor, I literally traveled all over the state and for years. And to have uh, administrators, nurses, technicians meet me kind of on literally mm-hmm. on 
uh, parade routes and come up tears in their eyes, give me a hug, you know, saying you saved our hospital, or which wasn't me, it was the legislature that, that did it. The stories are they were able to go buy new equipment or create new, you know, uh, surgical procedures that created new revenue streams that right. allowed them to produce even more money than just the, the tax credit. And so that's really the system here. Yeah. Communities have to invest in themselves, both education and healthcare or any other challenges, criminal justice. If a community doesn't believe in themselves and have that vision, then there's no level of subsidy that's going right. to fix it. And they're it. the closest to it. So yeah, they're that's the right. ones that have the best that's knowledge. Right. And, and, and they're, they're the vested, ones that have they're vested. That, they that's have the exactly right. Vested. Interest. They have the most vested interest in a positive outcome. Exactly. Yeah. So Jennifer, you're finishing your doctorate at UAB and this rural health thing has been kind of a uh, a particular interest of you. Can you just sort of explain to the, the listening audience what that's about? Well, one thing that comes to mind for me is if you guys recall when we had Bob Peterson on the show, he's the CEO of a critical access hospital in Maine. Uh, and you're right, it's not just Georgia, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. One of the things that stood out to me, and I can't remember the exact number he said, but it was something around 70% or so of the U.S. are actually rural-based. So we talk in the cities and the urban areas get the most of our attention, but the reality is the service of every most people here really does depend on those services in rural America. And so when you talk about it, it goes back to some of the things we talked about last week, right? It hits access. How do we make sure people are getting the right access to the care they need? No more, no less, right? It's We also know there's other issues within healthcare in terms of just making sure it's safe so that we maintain high quality and high reliability for our organizations and that it's affordable. So affordability really impacts access just as much as an actual opening to go to an appointment, right? If I can't afford my medication or I can't afford transportation to get there, then I'm, I'm not going to go. I don't have the opportunity or at least the perceived opportunity to go. So I, what comes to mind for me is, again, is how do we make the system easier to navigate by understanding the stakeholders, what they need, and how do we take down the barriers so that we can achieve that end result for them? So, um, Jeff, in terms of your experience with rural health in Georgia, Talk to us a little bit about what you guys had identified in terms of access and affordability. And I'm thinking of things like access to physicians, because in a rural area, they may not be incentivized. Well, it includes technology. So and, telemedicine, and, telehealth would be a good example from a technology perspective it, for health. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. But, you, but I think we have to understand it's a multifaceted approach, right? Right. And so telehealth is a component. Part of the 22 health care bills that we passed this year in the General Assembly, which was the year before the, the General Assembly had passed one. So, I mean, we made it. We made healthcare wow. a priority. Wow. It's, it's pretty good growth. Um, <laughs> but a lot of that was wrapped around telehealth and trying to modernize our definition of telehealth and being right. able to use it as, as a potential service or solution in certain factions. But, you know, you got ideas like direct primary care. And I mean, it's, right. it, you have to – it's a different business model mm -hmm. in right. the rural areas. And there's mm -hmm. – but there's also a mindset, right? We, we don't want anybody to just use healthcare when something hurts. We need them to be able to identify and use it as primary care and be able to know that, that uh, you know, you're a farmer, you get cut on a rusty blade and you go get treatment for 50 bucks, everybody gets out with three stitches and an antibiotic, as opposed to waiting. Right two months three months and it turns into an infection and amputation we all understand what that looks like right so weaving in the importance of healthcare to all parts of georgia i think is really the challenge ahead but we're continuing to see progress but but i got to be honest with you it's it's also the, it's the education system it's the it's the economic development structure around Absolutely. that if there isn't you know if there isn't insurance to, to to be had or there isn't you know the service or there isn't the 
you know, the, the, the best and brightest wanting to stay there. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a big ecosystem. Yeah, so let's unpack that ecosystem just a little bit. You talked about education. We talked about education last week as well. What is unique in terms of the rural environment in terms of education and access? So one of the things, I think a great starting point to understand education in rural Georgia is typically it is either the largest or one of the largest employers in that county yep. or in that area. And so understanding the importance of what that education system is from, from just a survival. Right. Uh, you know, uh, and look, we want local, you know, I don't want anybody telling, you know, my three kids are in public schools in, in Forsyth County. I don't want somebody from another county coming in and tell us how to run our schools. Right. And I'm certain there's other right. counties that don't want us. But we also have to make sure because of the amount of dollars being spent. And, and also, this is the vision I try to cast on these rural communities. You're important to our future here in Georgia. Right. If we're going to execute on all cylinders and achieve this game plan of being the best and brightest in this country, then we, we're going to need you. Right. And so to that point, what can we do to help you center that education system around the child, not around the system? Right. It's hard. Yeah. It's challenging. It looks different in different places. Got it. But it doesn't mean it's not worthy of the challenge to go try to tackle it. I think we're doing a good job. You know, one of the best things, I'm going to applaud our governor for He's a great friend of mine. But, but Governor Kemp talked about on the campaign trail giving teachers a pay raise. And it was a huge deal. And it was one of the first meetings I sat in with him after we won the election. He won as governor. I won as lieutenant governor. He said, let's go figure out how to do this. And $3,000 to every teacher hmm. in the state of Georgia was a huge deal to – to make Absolutely. a down payment on some of the most important boots on the ground to our future. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. a great point. One of the things that comes to mind as you talk about that is it's often very difficult for people to see the connection between the long-term vision and the immediate need that I have right in front of me. And because those things, it's it's one of those, what is it, the analogy, you can't see the forest through the trees. It's, mm -hmm. you know, I see what's right here. I see the urgency of what's in front of me. But what you mentioned around building our future, I mean, our babies, that's our future. That's that's the you know the process that we're trying to develop as they grow to have successful and, communities. and think about the, the you know the longevity of um, I don't know I'm trying to think of the industry like a railroad right I mean a railroad might be planning 30 40 years from now with the infrastructure and investments they're right. making today I mean we, we might even have to think about education in even longer terms than just yeah. our kids right it potentially could be our kids kids mm -hmm. that really benefit from strategy I mean think about this we we, we are as, as modern as we are. We're all, you know, receiving content on our devices left and right. I mean, I can tell you what the stock market's doing in any country in five clicks or less. I can get any useless fact in 30 seconds or less. <laughs> um, my kids are great at doing that. Um, but, you know, here, here we are taking end-of-the-year tests, standardized tests. So think about this. My, my, my policy director, Mike Dudgeon, calls this the educational autopsy. You know, we wait to the end of the year. We give them a test. We wait to the end of the summer. And literally last week, I just got my son's milestone results from the seventh grade. And he's already well into his eighth grade. Right. Year. We need to be able to, to deploy technology to give flexibility and create a nimble environment for our educators to be able to understand if a kid's above grade or below grade. Because those educators, quite honestly, I mean, who gets into education to be a billionaire? You get into education to, to, to deploy a gift you've got. I think that's a big part of this system. I think if a lot of those teachers in both rural and suburban areas felt that ability to maneuver, they'd be, they, they, they would be much more successful. 
It Got would it. help them if they could know halfway through the year where their kids stand because that way they can get those kids caught up before, like you said, they're in the next grade. And quite honestly... It only, only gets harder as you get higher up. Quite honestly, I think they sense that those kids are above or below grade, but yeah. they're not given the flexibility the to, to be able to navigate it. you know, on, on maybe a parallel path or an alternate path to be able to help that kid get through whatever they get through. I mean, I've got three kids. One's good at math. Uh, one's good at... Um, being funny and and <laughs> one's good at uh you know at math or at science you know it's just every kid's different yeah so it's interesting this challenge of really understanding what's going on in terms of real-time data is true across any organization we run into it in healthcare all the time which is known for its what we refer to as retrospective data so the analogy even though they've spent Hundreds of millions hundreds of, of dollars of on EMRs. That's right. And they still can't get the data we need. So the simple analogy we Maybe give <laughs> is the reason when you're driving your car, you have a speedometer in front of you is you need it now to understand where you're at. If you got an email when you got home of how fast you were going, it's not relevant anymore. And well, yeah, well, funny that you use that analogy because we have an app now with a 17-year-old driver that I get that email <laughs> when, when, <laughs> when he puts it in park and gets out. We get to have a couple of conversations about about top speed and acceleration. Uh, so it is no, valuable you, to a, a you're, parent. You're absolutely yeah. right. It's, right. It's about the proper size dashboard in front of you right. and, and, the, and the correct. You know, I don't really care about my RPMs. I don't really care about you know my oil cycle life. I care right. about my speed. I care about my direction. Right. And and and. And teachers and educators do too. I mean, look, everybody's got their heart in the right place around education, in my opinion. I mean, um, it's it's about understanding the tools and the resources it's going to take to accomplish those goals. Right. I mean, we talk about all. I mean, the metric everybody talks about is the third grade reading levels, right? Yep. We we get there. It is just as painfully obvious as to how important that is. I mean, there's just. I mean, the, you you can build great scenarios. You can build awful scenarios based on that single metric alone right mm -hmm. and and how do we be how are we impactful um to that because think about the quality of life after that right so what are some of the uh, corollary statistics in georgia relative to the third grade reading we talked a little bit about this off show in terms of of you know prison beds and uh homelessness and you know social challenges because kids drop out early and things like that are there any sort of prevailing uh, challenges within Georgia relative to third grade reading proficiency? I, I think almost every government subsidized program somehow, some way could probably have a direct correlation to that third grade reading wow. level. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't it's know. It's that big. I mean, I'm just well, making a, a generic statement. Healthcare sure. outcomes, you know, correction, cor you know, the correction system, uh, all of those. And so the importance of getting in there. But but look, we, we have to remember that that you know, we, we can we can hustle as hard as we possibly can from an education system, from a funding system. But the outcomes will be exponentially better if parents and guardians get dialed in. That's mm -hmm. right. Right. And, and, you know, that that's really my, my launch into politics was sitting in a church getting challenged to, to not be one of those people that complains, but actually gets involved and does something. And one right. of those examples that they used was education. Right. You know, everybody's complaining about teachers and curriculum and school systems and all that. But how many parents are spending at least, you know, five or ten minutes every night at the kitchen table with their own kid? That's right. And and that that narrative needs to not just be a, a talking point. It needs to be a reality. If you just spend a couple of minutes with your kid coming home, and, and look, different scenarios. There's single-parent homes. There's dual-parent homes. There's guardians. There's foster families adopted. There's all kinds of scenarios. But if we just spent a couple of minutes every night saying, hey, what would you, what'd you learn today? 
what are you all talking about today? Did you have any projects do? When's your next test? Hey, what do you want to be when you, you still want to be an engineer? Yeah, that's great. You know, everything you're learning in math is going to help you on that. All right, go take a shower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> go. Like just that conversation yeah. alone right. drives home and does something that billions and billions of dollars can't do. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly And I don't have right. a law I can create to, 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 to achieve personal responsibility. It's a mentality. I want Georgia to be better at that than anybody. I want, ultimately, I want the country to be great at it. But in Georgia, I want to drive that narrative home and be able to point back to and say, you know what? We're right. doing this. Well, but providing it, information back to the parents and or guardians is key, Jeff, that you mentioned. Seriously, if, if they can actually see where their child is, you know, either in a particular subject or in their total GPA, and then be able to really bring back those questions at home, again, that data is relevant to getting engagement from yep. those parents. Or if you could just do a how-to parenting book, that'd be great, too. <laughs> Maybe. I think his wife has I've got that. a few more years before I'm going to be prepared to write that. But I, I want to make sure they turn out okay. I got to get my nine-year-old off. Yeah. Off. He's by the way, my nine-year-old's the funny one in the yeah. crowd. That's what he's really good at. So, yeah, he is. so, so time time uh, will pass, and you'll be writing that book. Uh, but th what's interesting is I'm listening to this. Is there is, this can be a part of an important part of the public discourse, right? This is what's important. And the challenge, like when I turn on the TV. I'm not hearing a lot of this kind of stuff. Instead, I'm hearing about all the bad stuff that happened mm -hmm. and, and all the sort of frustrating things. It would be interesting if there was commitment within public discourse to say, let's just talk about some things that really matter. Here's some things that have happened in the foster uh, care arena as, as, as an example of where people stepped out and, and provided homes for these kids that, that don't have parents and look at the significant impact on them or, mm -hmm. or adoption and the power of adoption or, or, or just like you said, Jeff, spending time with your kids every day to see where they're at and how to help them. Yeah, it, I wrote an op-ed years ago uh, and I'm not a, a, an author or no English teacher would have said I would have written anything that got published, but <laughs> I wrote this op-ed that was just burning in my belly called The Four C's. It was called Churches, Charities, Corporations, and Citizens. Yeah. And it really was just a, a, a focus that said, look, if the four C's get to deploy themselves around issues and challenges around poverty, they bring things that government programs can never bring, right? right? They bring volunteerism, which is still free to this right. day. Um, they bring innovation, but probably most importantly, they bring exit strategy. If we think about government programs too often, they're just really, on their best day, they're there to stabilize. They're right. not there to change trajectory. Right. And that's right. not a knock against them, but the four C's really show up. I mean, think about it. If a company really just gets fired up and gets 1,000 employees to really pull together to help build homes or mentor kids or feed the hungry or foster programs that get kicked off or a church digs in, I know, you know, Lisa and I go to a church that just does a tremendous amount of work every mm -hmm. year and just deploying dollars and volunteerism into right. these community programs here, that, yeah. that are doing great work um, and not trying to get the credit for it, right? Ronald Reagan's quote, well, I, I've heard it a million ways. I'm going to give Ronald Reagan credit for it. If you don't care who gets credit, right, it's, it's amazing what you can get done. And, and that's yeah. one of these mentalities. I think the four C's are, a way, are an, an avenue for us to, to just be exponentially better at helping those in need. One of the things I would just mention too, I think this is interesting as we talk about all of these problems, whether it's rural health, whether it's talking about consumerism, whether it's coming into education, it's no small feat, right? These are big things. And I think one area where we struggle is being able to break down these really big concepts into very tangible actions, right? So the struggle on parenting, if you just come home and talk to your kids, right? Read them a book, one book, just read them a book every day. That alone has, I think I've been told, the most significant impact on childhood literacy. Um, I read somewhere that there's, if you talk to your kids 
the most important times you talk is the first three minutes they wake up, the first three minutes they get home from school, and the first three minutes or last three minutes before bed. Mm-hmm. And so if you just find those little bitty tangible things that can drive improvement, you're not moving mountains, but collectively when everyone starts to do these or you start to add that into other improvements, it starts to actually move as opposed to just stabilize. Right. Uh, yesterday I had an opportunity to give a speech uh, or a conversation with um, – uh, all the freshman legislators that were mm. in. So the Speaker of the House and myself, and you know, one of the one of the the reps asked, um, you know, what's what's the best advice that, that that you can give? And I was like, oh gosh, make a lot of relationships, you know, make friends <laughs> on both sides of the aisle, kind of thing. And then I said, then it hit me. I was like, don't think government's a solution for everything. Right. I don't wake don't wake up every day. And, and, and it's look when you're inside the bubble, it's easy to think that you know it's like any mm-hmm. business, it's transactional. You feel value in the number of transactions mm-hmm. that you. So. Don't think government's the solution to everything, right? Because right. it isn't, right? even and, on its best day. Right, and, and Jennifer, to your point, there are key levers. Mm-hmm. And it's understanding what the problems actually are and then what are the key levers that if you pull on those, you have the greatest impact. And what you just described in terms of the, of, of the intersection of three minutes with your child throughout the day, that's a, a perfect example of a key lever. So this year we had a bill that we passed um, I think it was SB 108. Uh, my policy director came to me, and he's a big technology guy. He's had a couple of really good exits. And he said, do you know that only a half a percent of high school kids are graduating from Georgia with a one computer science class? Just one. Oh, my heavens. I mean, Fred Flintstone took a computer science class. <laughs> right? and, and especially considering your kids know how to work the computer better the, and, the, and the iPhone better right. than you do. And, and there's a number of reasons why that's the case. I mean, some districts didn't have the funding to set it up. Some, some districts, it just wasn't important. It's a heavily ag industry. But... You know, or, you know, whatever the reason is. So we passed a bill that basically says every kid has to take at least one computer science class. And then we got the state budget and we were able to fund the schools so that they could have a teacher or do an online curriculum course right. or whatnot. But the point was to expose these kids to technology. Right. Right. Technology knows no boundaries. It could be the, it might end up being the greatest tool to mm-hmm. help us in rural Georgia and the issues around poverty because there, it knows no boundaries. Right. Exactly. And how we deliver that con- and how we instill in those kids. Fundamental right. issues like that that maybe cost the state a million dollars as opposed to, I mean, how many kids are going to bite into technology, realize that their synapses are firing, they want to go excel in their high school you know, education, go, get a, go graduate from high school, go get a technical school, or go to a workforce development program. And go make sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year for the rest of their life, or right. more. Right. right. And and actually, I want to applaud Georgia that we're really pro technical school, and we have oh, lots yeah. of gap uh, opportunities for education because a four year education is not for every child. So again, Georgia has come along really strong in that area. So just because they have a good football team doesn't mean you ought to go spend a hundred thousand dollars. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For sure. So Jeff, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Leader Dialogue Radio Show these two weeks. Thanks for sticking around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank then, you so much for what you're doing and, and great to be here. And uh, I'd love to come back another time. That sounds great. And you notice he just started the job because there is no gray in his hair. <laughs> we'll, we'll be no, with him. You're we'll not looking him. close enough. We'll be with you after one term, two terms. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for your insight, and thanks for the work you're doing on behalf of Georgia. Thank you. And thank you to everyone else for listening to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Remember, you can listen to a new live show every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Visit businessradiox.com, click on the Gwinnett Studio, select our show, Leader Dialogue. 
Or you can also listen to this or any other of our podcasts by doing leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben, Jennifer, Lisa, and myself, thanks for joining us on Leader Dialogue right here on Business Radio X. Mm-hmm.